Listen, there are times when you're going to get something handed down to you from your boss that you don't agree with, right? Because a lot of team guys didn't agree with that. A lot of SEALs didn't agree with it. And so there's a few things that you can do. This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we take a look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. As always, I'm Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pest as well as Triangle Lawn. And with me, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I'm not for sure, is Mr. Dan Gord. Dan, would you like to say, I guess it's afternoon, it's morning for our guest is at, introduce our guests, our topic, our sponsors, and then let's get into this thing. Sure. Uh, actually, it is fortunate uh, we're doing this right before Labor Day, which is terrific. Uh, so um, it's Dan Gordon, PCL bookkeepers, PCL MA specialists specializing in bookkeeping and um, exit planning for the uh, pest control operator as well as um, lawn care. And um, this episode, as all of ours uh, this year, is sponsored by Coal March by Workwave. For more about digital marketing, go to colmarch.com and PestSure. PestSure is an insurance uh, agency that caters to the pest control uh, industry. If you want to find out more about them, it's pestsure.com. Now, today, this is a special treat. This is going to be awesome. For anybody who has uh, read the book, uh, with us is uh, Carlos Mendez. He's a U.S. Navy veteran who's completed multiple deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan and served as an assistant officer in charge and an officer in charge of both SEAL Team 3 and Special Reconnaissance Team 1. Carlos finished his naval career as an executive officer for the SEAL Training Command. After leaving uh, the service, uh, he uh, and before joining uh, Echelon Front, which is a consulting firm, Carlos completed his MBA at uh, the Anderson School of Management at UCLA, worked as an investment banker, has an undergree, uh, undergrad degree in finance from the University of San Diego. And uh, today, Carlos is a consultant and instructor with Echelon Front, uh, the organization co-founded by fellow SEAL veterans Jocko Willing and Leif Babin, authors of the book Extreme Ownership, which I've read several times. And if you haven't, I highly recommend it. And I also recommend that you listen to the audio book because it's just spellbounding. So welcome, Carlos. We're thrilled to have you. Um, many members of the industry are big fans of the book Extreme Ownership. So tell us a little bit about your background, uh, your connection to Jocko and Leif and how you ended up at uh, Echelon. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, first of all, Dan, I just want to thank you for having me on the show. Uh, the way Jocko and I got connected is honestly, I was one of his instructors at the training detachment when. Um, <laughs> yeah. How are your boss? I love it. <laughs> yeah. So he was already my boss once. And then uh, JP and I, who JP is another one of the instructors there, we worked in the same cell, which is the close quarter combat cell together. And um, when I retired from the Navy, or I was getting ready to retire. We kind of threw the idea around of me possibly joining Echelon Front. Um, but if I'm being honest, I wasn't quite sure what they were doing. So I, I wasn't all in. And, and at the time, I was all in on investment banking. Uh, I had already put in a ton of work, obviously, to get my MBA into learning what investment banking was all about, studying for interviews. And I had just secured a uh, an internship. 
So I did that. I did my internship. I got a job offer. I went and worked at the bank for a little bit under or over a year, somewhere along there. And then somewhere along that time, JP reached out to me and he said, hey, listen, we've got a client about 60% of his employees only speak Spanish. And we told him that we could deliver this in Spanish. And I told him, oh, you did, did you? And he said, yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, who else do you know speak Spanish? And he's like, well, that's what I'm calling you. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Accept anything and figure out how to do it. After. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And listen, if you're not familiar with investment banking, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty brutal job in terms of hours. All right. Yeah. So I was working 90, sometimes 100 hour weeks. Um, and so I just honestly, I didn't have the time. And I told him I can't do it. But he was very persistent. And he said, listen, man, I, I'm calling in a favor. <laughs> and when he says that, you know, in, in, in our brotherhood, in terms of the SEAL teams, I was like, okay, I'll see what I can do. So I was able to get a couple of days off. I went over there. I translated. I saw what they were actually doing. And it felt amazing to be able to share all these leadership principles. It wasn't at all what I thought it was going to be. Um, we were giving them practical tools for them to immediately start using. And so when I went back to work, as I'm building an Excel model at three, four in the morning, you know, I, I'm reading a couple of the emails I got from a couple of people there and their CEO saying like, hey, this this is already making a big difference. I already see a change in the attitude. Um, and that's when I realized, man, this is something I, I, I could do for a living. It's a lot more enjoyable than what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, hey, a, a question. This is kind of interesting because, uh, uh, you know, the book was written in a really interesting way. Like each chapter starts with a really spellbounding story uh, from when you guys were in Iraq and whatnot. And then how the concept that you learned at war could be applied in business. Is that the way the consulting practice is born? Is that the way you guys approach uh, issues, you know, when you take on an engagement? How does that work? You know, it, it's funny you say that because when I first started, you know, I said, hey, listen, I don't have any I don't have any experience with any of these industries because we work with every single industry you can imagine. Right. But I, I, I told Jocko and JP, I'm like, hey, listen, I only got experience in military and investment banking. I'm not going to know how to help. I'm not going to know how to help these people solve their problems. And what they said to me is when you see it, you'll know. Because ultimately, we're all human beings. And a lot of the problems that we come across very rarely have to do with something technical, right? If you're a plumber, if you're an HVAC, if you're an engineer, whatever the case may be, if there's a technical problem, we're going to figure it out. Whether we ask somebody, we do a little bit of research, whatever the case may be, the majority of the problems that we come across deal with other human beings, and human beings, like I said, even though human beings are different, we're all the same. We all have egos, right? We all have insecurities. Um, and, and being able to maneuver through all those personalities and being able to influence people, which is what leadership is, that's all the same no matter what industry you're in. So as I work with more and more companies now, I can see it almost immediately when people are like, yeah, I've got this problem. And now I've got a Rolodex, right? Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, oh, yeah, I had this other plumbing company who had that problem. And um so it, it, it's all about dealing with people. The fact that it came from the military, I think the 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 stakes were were higher, obviously, but the principles are the same. They don't change. And the principles that we have in the book, they're cover and move. 
simple, prioritize ex and execute, and then finally decentralized command. Listen, you can name those whatever you want, but the principles are the same, which is building relationships with people. You're communicating effectively to ensure that everybody's aligned. You're detached from your emotions so that you can make good decisions and prioritize properly for your team. And finally, you're empowering the people around you, whether it's down the chain of command, peer to peer, or up the chain of command. So let's let's dig into that a little bit because I think that's an important point. And and you said something that I 100% agree with, which is people are people, and and the lead, you know leadership is leadership wherever you whatever environment you apply it in. But so given your experience, what do you think most company owners? CEOs, like what, what, what's the most common thing that you see? I mean, the vast majority of people who are listening to this podcast are either owners, well, most of them are owners, or they're high-level leaders. What do you see that is like the most common thing that they really struggle with that could they could absolutely make, you know, that that's I guess the most common issue that you see? Man, that's a that's a really tough question because there's there's about three or four that I see on a pretty consistent basis. Uh, I'm going to say probably the one that, that they get wrong the most is the fact that leadership is a skill. Leadership is a skill. And that's something that as that, that we're responsible for teaching our team, because a lot of times, you know, we bring someone onto the team and we teach them how to be really good at their job, but we don't teach them what leadership is. And so when we start having those conflicts, right, that friction between personalities, we're kind of like, Hey, what's going on? So being able to set those expectations early in terms of like, hey, this is the culture that we abide by. Is this something that you're good with? By the way, here's training that we provide for self-development, which is leadership, right? One of the things that we say here at Echelon Front is, is if you deal with other human beings, you're in a leadership position. And a lot of people get that wrong. They think that people are natural born leaders or that leaders are only people that have some type of title, whether it's like VP, foreman, manager, or, or whatever the case may be. And I'm going to say the second most common thing I see is, is not being able to use decentralized command appropriately, right? They like to hold on so tight and they don't let their team come up with the plan. And listen, in some of these industries that I work in, the job is already very difficult as it is. Right. So when you're really micromanaging people and you're you're not letting them have any autonomy, you're not really allowing them to grow. You're not really letting them have any pride in what they do because you're the one micromanaging them. It makes the job just a ton harder. And then they're scratching their heads and asking themselves, why is this turnover so high? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's it, I know I see that common like people who cannot delegate. They're overworked. They don't make great decisions, and, and yeah, exactly. And people under them are not are not very happy either. Talk to me a little bit about your background. Obviously, you were a SEAL, um, and 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 now you're helping other people with leadership. Can you just walk us through a little bit about what did you learn as a SEAL, and do you think that trans? I mean, you know, you hear all the. I mean, you go to YouTube and you and you read the books. Okay, they get through buds, and buds is typically the story point that you hear. But I think you know, being a SEAL is probably a lot more. Than just making it through hell week and making it through that initial training. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, how SEALs are, are trained to lead and then kind of how that translates and then, and ultimately how that could help someone who is, you know, out there on their own trying to run a business and, and trying to lead, you know, in, in their position. Man, listen, I, I could sit here all night and talk about all the lessons that I learned in the SEAL teams. Um, one of the things that I tell people, though, is there's a couple things that I think were very advantageous for me. The first one is 
Listen, in the SEAL teams, you have personalities in the extremes. <laughs> so I always like to say that the SEAL teams amplify who you were as a human being. So listen, if you were a really awesome human being beforehand, you're even better afterwards. If you were already a crappy person to begin with, you're even crappier afterwards. Right? <laughs> now, you're, now you're a crappy person with a ton of confidence and training. And so a lot of these personalities you deal with, they're in very extremes. So they become very big leadership challenges. One of the questions I got when I was interviewing for um, investment banking was one, it was one of the biggest leadership challenges you had. And I told them being in charge of 21 guys with the egos the size of China. And listen, by the way, <laughs> egos aren't a bad thing. You actually need a little bit of ego to do that job, right? Mm -hmm. But it's when that ego is uncontrolled because we lack humility, where we stop listening to other people. We, we, we think we know it all, right? We don't respect our competition, things of that nature. And then the other reason why I say the SEAL teams were so beneficial for me is because leadership gets switched out every two years. So you get a lot of reps, one, being in different leadership positions, and two, observing different styles of leadership every two years. And honestly, I would say that I probably learned more about leadership from crappy leaders than I did from the really good ones, mm -hmm. right? Because I, I felt what it was like to be under that leadership, and then I saw what it did to everybody around them. And then you, those two years would be over, and you would get a, a good leader, and then you're like, oh, yeah, that works a lot better. And as an instructor, and listen, this is why I, I, I think it was even magnified even more. I always tell people that being an instructor was something that I did not want to do. If I'm being honest, listen, I went kicking and screaming to that, to that command, mm -hmm. but it actually ended up being one of the biggest learning experiences of my career because as an instructor, now I'm watching two different styles of leadership go through training every other week. So can you imagine the luxury of being able to observe two different styles of leadership every other week for three years? And oh, by the way, it's from a completely detached perspective because I'm not emotionally attached to that mission, right? I'm watching from the catwalk. And so the luxury of being able to armchair quarterback all these decisions that these team leaders were making under pressure, the luxury of being able to observe how they, how they addressed issues with their platoons and when it worked and when they didn't. And so I would say those three things were probably an enormous advantage for me in terms of how I developed my leadership style. Do you so, so, so yeah, so one of the basic premises of the book is there's no such thing as a bad team, only bad leaders. But one of the things that we talk about, you know, and, and read about, you know, a lot of management gurus talk about having the wrong people on the bus or the right people on the bus. Is that a bad team? I mean, how, how can you say that you can't have a bad team if you don't have the right players? Obviously, leadership is is very important, but 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 can you kind of expound on that a little bit? Yeah, so that's a question I get pretty often, and and I I actually answer it with another question: Who was responsible for putting that team together? Right. Mm -hmm. it, it was the leadership, right? So if if leadership is is in place. You're one, you're onboarding people properly, you're, you're, you're bringing in talent appropriately, and then you're developing them as you go. And if you truly have a bad apple, right, that's kind of making it a toxic environment for everybody else, then as a leader, we got to make that tough decision to 
Well, listen, what we say here at Echelon Front is you always want to start by mentoring, right? You always want to start there because it could be that there's just a miscommunication, a, a, a misalignment. So we're always starting from beginning and we're always trying to bring somebody up. If I've got an underperformer on my team, I'm going to go out of my way to mentor them, right? And if that's not working, then I start what's called the escalation of counseling, or maybe we have like a written counseling. Maybe that doesn't work. So maybe I got to put them on a performance review plan. And at the end of that, I tell them, hey, if you got to come back to my office, the next time you come back to my office, I think it's time we visit the possibility of us not being a good fit for each other. But that's a hard thing to do, especially that very first conversation. Okay, the very first conversation where you're taking ownership of that person's failure. That's a tough thing to do. Let's say, for example, I've got someone who's underperforming, right? Listen, the very first conversation I have with them is, hey, listen, I've, I've realized that you're not meeting the standards. And listen, that's my fault because I haven't done a good job of mentoring you. I haven't done a good job of training you. I haven't done a good job somewhere, right? Now, if they continue to do that, like I said, now we go through the escalation of, of counseling. But in the end, if if that's my team, I'm responsible for it. So I'm responsible to, uh, for putting those right players in. I need to reiterate what you just said because that is so uncommon. Uh, I mean, it is, and, and Dan, you can you can disagree here, but I I know for me personally, when I go to meetings and we're with other business owners, and the first thing we hear about is, oh my gosh, you know, we can't we can't find great people, and this person's doing this, and I like ultimately, it's like it's the problem is out there, right? Like the issue with their people is out there. I to this day, and I have to, I mean, I'm talking even to myself here. Rarely will I will I lead off with what am I doing wrong? You know what I mean? Like usually it's like you are like, dude, you need to get your shit together. <laughs> like you, you gotta you you need to get squared away. Rarely would I go to that person and be like, what am I doing wrong? Right. And so that's I just want to reiterate that because that's such a key point. And I think it's a fantastic insight because ultimately what it does is it it disarms the conversation and the person will they their ego gets immediately put to the side if a leader comes to you and says, look, something's going wrong here. And then there's not this defensiveness. And I just feel like you have a real conversation. And so such a fantastic point, Carlos. And I think, you know, actually, I you know, so I leadership strategy and tactics is one of my favorite books, by the way. And I know we're talking about extreme ownership, but to me, they're kind of all in the same. But, you know, he talks about that in that book about leading off with that idea of like, hey, I'm not doing something for you. What can I do better? But ultimately bringing it back around to the idea that, well, you know, there's something wrong here and we need to address it. And let's start with me first. I mean, I think that's really the the whole bottom line principle of extreme ownership. Would you agree with that, Carlos? Yeah, 100 percent. And so when I teach workshops, right, we, we go around and we teach workshops and we teach people how to have this initial conversation. I always say, hey, taking ownership is the most important step of that conversation. One, because of what you just said, right? Because let's say, for example, I go up to Dan and listen, Dan, even if you're a really humble person and I tell you in the most tactful way and I say, hey, Dan, let me give you some constructive criticism. What are you already doing? You're already a little bit defensive, right? Even if you're a humble guy. But if I say, hey, Dan, you know what? I could really use your help with this issue and it's my fault. What are you thinking now? Oh, it's your fault, is it? Go on. I'm listening. (laughs) Right. We've broken down that wall. But here's actually the even more important reason why taking ownership is the most important step. It's because if you think that that other person is the problem, you can't fix it. 
That's you right. can't fix them, 100%. but you can fix yourself. Yeah. All right. So if I have that mindset, like, well, it's that other person, by the way, that's really easy to do is look at someone else and, and their faults. But if I say, Hey, what did I do wrong here? And what can I do better? That's something that I actually have some control over. So, uh, yeah. So, so one of the things that it, it, I, I was listening to the uh, audio book earlier today, just to, to freshen up, because uh, it was a while ago that I read and, and listened. But uh, there was a chapter which I thought was really interesting that I, that I had forgotten about. It's about on-job training, OGT. And the example from the book was really interesting because, uh, you know, uh, these SEALs had a fight alongside these Iraqi soldiers who really didn't want to be there. You know, uh, they had poor training, questionable allegiance and whatnot. And the SEAL team, I guess, said, well, listen, we're going to do our missions and we're taking these Iraqi soldiers with us. Uh, and a lot of the, the, the other SEALs were against it because, you know, they're putting their life on the line. And these guys, you know, uh, didn't have the same training and, what, and whatnot. But what was the reason for doing that? And how do you relate that to business? Um, let, let me just rephrase the question just to make sure I understood. What was the reason for us taking Iraqis out on missions? Yeah, taking these guys out who uh, clearly weren't trained as well as you were and basically putting your life in their hands in, in many instances. Uh, and, and like, how does that relate to business and, and, and building a team and whatnot? Yeah, so uh, here's the way I look at it, or here's what was explained to us. The reason why is because we didn't want to be there forever. Right. And eventually, guess what? They're going to have to learn how to fight their own war. All right. Like, listen, I don't want my kids over there. I don't want, I personally don't want to be, well, I like to deploy. If I'm being honest, I like deploying, but listen, American lives are being lost. So nobody wants to be there longer than we have to be. We mm -hmm. just don't. And so we got to teach them to do their own, their own fighting. And they're only going to do it if, like I said, we start trusting them a little bit and giving them those reps and giving them those experience experiences and letting them go through those growing pains. Now, I think there's a couple lessons that we get out of this for business. One, listen, there are times when you're going to get something handed down to you from your boss that you don't agree with. Right. Because a lot of team guys didn't agree with that. A lot of SEALs didn't agree with it. And so there's a few things that you can do. OK, let's say, for example, and uh, so I'll kind of give an example. And then I'm pretty sure that people can kind of take that example and, and put it in their everyday work life. So let's say, for example, that, that you're my commanding officer and, and you say, hey, listen, we're going to launch for this mission. We're going to launch these small Zodiac boats. Everybody knows what Zodiac boats are, those small rubber boats, right? They fit six to seven people. They got the little outboard engine in the back. Hey, we're going to launch those from the hull of the ship. And I say, okay, so I have the guys and we're, we prep the boats. We put all the gear on there. We inflate them. We put all the weapons. We put the, the engines on them and we're ready to go. And then when I'm all done, you come up to me and you say, hey, you know what? I want to launch from the helicopters now. I want to, I want to put those Zodiacs on the helicopters and I want to launch them from there. I could do a few things here. I could push back on you and tell you how stupid your idea is. But what's that doing to the relationship between you and I? It's straining it, right? I'm definitely not building a relationship. I'm definitely violating the first law of combat, which is building relationships with people, cover and move. Or I could keep my mouth shut, be disgruntled about it. I can go back to my team and say, hey, you know what? Dan told us that we have to launch from the helicopters now. And what's my team thinking? 
dang it, what is Dan doing, right? The decisions he's making, they don't understand. The leadership doesn't understand how the decisions that they're making, how it's affecting the frontline troops. I hear that one all the time. Would you agree with that, right? The complaint is leadership doesn't understand how the decisions they make affect the frontline troops. Okay. So it's my responsibility as that middle guy, right? I always say middle management is one of the most most challenging positions because I'm I'm managing Absolutely. up and I'm managing down the chain of command. Absolutely. Yep. So I got to take ownership of that and I have to paint the picture for you. I have to take ownership of painting the picture for you to show you what the effects are. So I can start by doing it this way. I'm built by the way, I want to maintain this relationship with you. So I say, hey Dan, hey, let me give you a quick read back. My understanding is instead of launching from the bottom of the ship, you now want to launch from the helicopters. Is that correct? And you say, yes, that's what I want. So I say, cool, no problem. We can make that happen, boss. But I just want to let you know what that 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 involves. First thing we got to do is we got to take the engines off the boat. We got to take the gears and gun off the boats. We got to deflate them. We got to take the, the frames out of the boats. Then we have to take all that equipment up seven, seven levels up the ship of these very narrow passageways all the way to the top of the ship. When we get the, all the equipment up there, we got to put the frames back in. We got to pump the boats back up. We got to put all the gear back on. And because we're launching from helicopters, now we have to build these things called ducks to protect the boats as we push them out. And as I'm telling you all this, what are you thinking right now about the plan, Dan? And maybe it's uh, more difficult than I maybe, maybe yeah. we launch from the hole. That's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now what did I do? I ensured, right? I, I gave you good information to paint the picture so that you can make a good decision. Now, There's a possibility that you may have a good reason, though, for that. Hey, listen, Carlos, the the hull of the ship, that door that opens, it's broken. Or worse yet, we realize that we don't have enough fuel on those Zodiacs to get to our mission. So we have to go halfway helicopter, halfway Zodiac. But now when I go back to my team and I explain that to them, what are they thinking? Yeah, it sucks, but they understand the why. Right. And that's what was going on in that situation, right? A lot of guys were disgruntled and complaining because we didn't do a good job of explaining the why at first. And once they understand the why, then then the attitude changes. So my point the lesson is one, you got to explain the why to people. Two, listen, if you're if your leadership is making decisions that you don't agree with. First of all, you got to ask some good, sincere questions because, listen, you got to be open to the possibility that you could be wrong. You could be wrong. So you got to ask, hey, boss, I know we're doing it this X, Y, and Z. Hey, can you quickly explain the reason why we're doing it this way? Because if I understand, I can execute this plan a whole lot better. I want to accomplish this, what you want, but I need to understand the why. So I'm ensuring that everybody up and down the chain is aligned on that why. I'm painting the picture for them. I'm giving them good information so that they can make good decisions. And in the end, listen, we can go really deep down this rabbit hole because people are like, well, what if I ask good questions? I painted the picture and they still say, I want to do it anyways. Right? Yeah. And I tell them, I'm going to give you a very unsatisfying answer. You know what it is? You have a good attitude about it and you you carry out that plan and you do everything in your power to mitigate the risks that come with that plan. Because if I push back on that plan, listen, if I really ask all those good questions and I painted all that good information and they don't have a good reason, chances are they just have a big what? 
they've got a big ego, right? And they want to do it their way regardless. So do you really think that me pushing back on that person is all of a sudden going to make them change their mind? No. As a matter of fact, they're going to double down on it and you're doing that plan anyways. And now you do that plan, it goes wrong. And who are they going to blame? They're going to blame you. Yeah. As opposed to, hey, listen, if I go with the plan, I do everything to mitigate it. Maybe it doesn't go well, but we debrief and we talk about it. Next time that this situation comes up, I have a lot more influence than the very first time when I pushed back on him, right? Because if that scenario happens again and I push back and I made all those withdrawals from that relationship capital bank account, I'm going to have a lot less influence next time. Yeah. You know, Carlos, what you just said, I mean, I know we were talking about OJT, but it reminded me of a concept in the book that I think is so critical, which is this whole idea of leading up the chain. And, you know, one of the things that I feel like it's it's a difficult thing to do. And I think, you know, for a lot of leaders, if you can learn how to train your middle managers, how to do this, the whole organization gets 10 times better in my mind. And that, and this is one that even I, even I, I struggle with quite a bit, meaning that, so I'm the leader, right? And I want to make sure that if someone comes to me and they've got, Hey, this is, this is what I think, this is what's going on. In other words, they're trying to lead up the chain. I try to make sure that I'm open so that they continue to do that, right? The last thing I want to do is get a situation just like what you described, where I'm making decisions. I don't fully understand the ramifications of those decisions. And then someone doesn't tell me, and then they do it. And then all of a sudden there's this disconnect. Can you walk through a little bit about how, how can you foster this mentality in your min middle managers? How can you foster this mentality so that you can create it? I mean, because to me as a leader, I think this is probably one of the most important things you can do is create that really that dynamic where people are coming to you with 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 ideas, but also they understand that at the end of the day, a decision has to be made and the leader's going to make it and we're going to get behind it. What, what, what are some things that, that leaders can do to kind of create that environment? Yeah, so I think there's a few different ways we can attack this question. I think the very first way that we can kind of look at it is if I want decentralized command to work, I have to be very clear about a few things. The most important thing that I have to be clear about is the mission, right? They have to understand and we have to be aligned as to what the mission is. The next thing we have to be aligned on is the why, like we just talked about, right? They need to understand the why. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to give them some parameters. I'm going to set my expectations. We're going to be aligned on those. And then I'm going to let them come up with the plan. Okay. That's how you're allowing people to start developing. Because, listen, if I come up with a plan and I micromanage them, listen, one, they don't have ownership of the plan, right? So they're already a little bit checked out. But two, if something goes wrong throughout that plan, who's the first person that's get a phone call? Oh, it's yeah. going to be you because it's your plan, right? Everybody's gotten that phone call. It's been a leadership position. Hey, boss, we've got a problem. What do you want to do? But if I let them come up with a plan and all I did was say, hey, these, this is the mission. Here's the why. Here's your parameters. You know what they're going to do? They're going to do everything within those parameters to make sure that plan works because it's theirs and they have some ownership and pride in it. Another thing that I like to talk about is that, hey, listen, we uh, I talk about the debrief a lot, right? After a process, whether it was a day of work, whatever the case may be, hey, we got a debrief. And the reason I love this debrief is because it gives everybody an opportunity, the chance to, hey, to, to be able to, I guess, contribute, 
hey, what's my idea, right? How can we improve? What did we do wrong? What can we do better next time? Right. Yeah, so jumping around a little bit, uh, I guess the, 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 the concept of the decisiveness amid, amid uncertainty. So obviously everybody, you know, the world is uncertain and you have to make some decisions, but can you explain how, you know, what your thought process is on that and how you did it as a, as a CEO and how you do it in business? Let me just make sure I got the question right. You're asking about decisive decision-making? Is that correct? Yeah, uh, yeah amid uncertainty, you know, because we're okay. in a certain world. Yeah, so listen, let me find a good example. There's going to be there's going to be a lot of times in our lives where we have to make a decision very quickly, right? Because if we don't make a decision quickly, there's going to be some consequences. And then not only that, not only do I have to make that decision very quickly, but now I have very limited data, right? I don't have all the data that I would like to make this decision. So one of the things that we talk about is iterative decision making. And I don't know if you, you guys have heard of this before, but what iterative decision-making is, is I'm making very small decisions with the information that I have available to me, fully knowing that I don't know what the final answer is, but what having or making these small decisions does for me is it allows me to quickly pivot. So let's say, for example, I'm patrolling down the street, right, with my team and we get ambushed, okay? Listen, I don't know what the ultimate correct answer is. I don't. Because as I'm trying to make myself as small as humanly possible behind a building or whatever the rubble may be, I know one thing. I need to make a decision and I need to make it now, but I don't have all the data available to me. But I do know this. I need to get off the street. So I say, hey, you know what? Everybody barricade in that white building. Everybody head to that white building. Everybody goes to that white building. We regroup. And now I have an opportunity to make another small decision. And making these small decisions allows me to quickly pivot. Hey, if that small decision was not in the right direction, guess what we can do? We can go back and we can go in another direction. So let's talk about in business. Okay. And I'll try to find like a really simple example. Let's say, um, let's say I want to make t-shirts with my face on them. But listen, I don't have money for marketing. I don't know if they're going to sell well or not. So maybe I don't blow my entire life savings and I maybe just make 50 t-shirts. And I put them on Etsy or Amazon or whatever. If they sell out, guess what I'm doing? I'm making more t-shirts. If I'm sitting on them for a couple of weeks, guess what? Maybe I need to make some t-shirts with Jocko's face on them. Does that make sense? So for no, decisions- I, that Actually, I think you want it with Dan's uh, face on. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say Donnie's face. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah, they're selling, then it would be, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, so- so I guess in marketing, it's the same thing. You do sampling and then if it, you know, uh, go, no go decision, you know, uh, but, but yeah, that, that, that's interesting, but I, I like breaking it down into small decisions so that you can fit it. That's, that's, that's interesting. Well, and I think it's a, it's a good point, right? It's like, what's, what's, what's the most immediate right now? Let's just, let's see, get a feedback on it, you know, and then, and then take it from there. So. Well, listen, we were getting towards the end here, Carlos. First of all, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. And I do want to give you guys, this company, a shout out. If 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 someone is interested in, first of all, I will tell you, if you've not read Extreme Ownership, if you've not read Leadership Strategy and Tactics, if you've not read The Dichotomy of Leadership, do yourself a favor 
give them a read. They're fantastic reads. I personally, for all of our managers, I make them read leadership strategy and tactics, mainly because I feel like there's a lot of good principles in there. And it's a pretty easy book to give to a middle manager because they're in little bite-sized chunks. I think it's one of the I think it's one of the better books as far as like giving it to someone else and having them learn the principles. Um, so Carlos, can you just talk a little bit about you guys as company? If someone's interested in reaching out to you guys and they want to learn more about extreme ownership, you, you want to just do that real quick. I, I do want to make sure that it's, you know, the, that if folks are interested, they know how to get in touch with you or someone from your, or from Echelon front. Yeah, absolutely. Um, listen, you can always just go to our website, echelonfront.com. Um, and you could just kind of browse all the different services that we provide at your leisure. Uh, so we provide anything from as small as a keynote to uh, workshops, whether it's four or six hour workshops to hands on training. Right. We have this field training exercise what we do where we put 30 people through this training. We talk about the laws of combat. We give them missions. We put them in teams and they learn to start applying these laws on these missions. And then we come back and debrief. And then they start to understand, right? So I like to say, this is the way I like to explain it. The book, it's like a chemistry class. The book is a textbook, right? The workshops are the classroom time, but these FTXs, those are the lab where you actually get to start applying these things. And then the very last program that we have is the LDAP program where we actually stay with a company for an extended period of time because we're trying to really change the culture. They need a little bit more help. And so between all those different services, if you're interested, like I said, feel free to just go to echelonfront.com. Or if you want to just reach out to me directly, that's fine as well. You could just reach me at carlos at echelonfront.com. And I can answer any questions that you have about any of our services. Perfect. I, and, you know, it, I would actually like to purchase some for Dan because I would love to see him jump out of a helicopter with his own boat. <laughs> I think it'd be great. All right. Well, Carlos, this has been fantastic. Thank you very much for taking some time to chat with us. It's been great uh, learning about you, learning about your background, learning about extreme ownership. I, again, I think it's just a fantastic book. And what you guys have done has been really amazing. Just a reminder, all the resources and topics that we talked about, we'll also put a link up for Echelon Front or available on the podcast website for pmpindustryinsider.com. Just take a look under show notes. And as always, we appreciate any kind of ratings and reviews that you can get. If you do have complaints, of course, you pass those along to Dan. And with that, we're going to sign out. We'll see you all next time. Take care. Thanks so much. All right now. Thanks for having me.